All right, Philippians chapter number one. Somebody said, Pastor, we know who you're rooting for. I got dressed in the dark, and after I walked out of my house, I thought, oh, Lord, what did I do when I put this on? So many people think I'm rooting for a certain team. I'm on the Lord's team. That's all I know. So uh, Philippians, wonderful book here, wonderful study. If you're uh, visiting with us tonight, uh, this, is, uh, this has been a study that we started a while back. And of course, uh, with the holidays, we got a little bit away from it, but we're back tonight on finding joy in the journey. And the Lord wants us to have a joyful Christian life. As you read God's Word and you study it, and we need to be in the Word of God, we find that God uh, is not the author of confusion. That's the devil's work. Uh, God does everything decently and in order, all right? This, this is just free I'm giving you tonight, right now, all right? And uh, some of you are looking around trying to figure out where I'm at. But uh, here's a thought is as we look at this in our Bible, sometimes we get caught up. You have to understand that the, the verses and the chapter breaks uh, are something that man has put in there. Now God's Word is inspired, the words. Uh, it's helpful when somebody says turn to Philippians chapter number 2. It's helpful to go there. But you have to understand that when God gave His Word, He didn't give chapter numbers, and so on. But what you find is, is that as they, as they helped us, they found where those thought patterns were in the Word of God. And oftentimes, that's what we call chapter number two. Now, I have found sometimes that when you get to a certain portion of Scripture, that really you have to continue from one chapter into the next, really to get the full thought that God was bringing across. Are you with me tonight? Uh, one of the things I said to the folks uh, earlier on tonight was part of the responsibility of a pastor is to be a teacher, not just a preacher, but a teacher. And when you get to this small book, understand it was a letter, an epistle that was written to those in Philippi, to the church in Philippi. And so when Paul starts writing, he gives his greeting in the beginning of chapter one, the beginning of this letter. Then Paul begins to talk about his bonds in the Lord. He talks about uh, what, what he had gone through, and, and he's not giving a woe is me, but what he shares with those in Philippi is that he wants Christ to be magnified through his body. In other words, what I've gone through, I'm going through it for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, sometimes we look at things, we go through trials and, and so on, and we think to ourselves, you know, listen, why am I going through this? You're going through it so that, so that the Lord can show himself big in your life and he can show himself to those around you. So understand that Christ needs to be magnified. Now, if you have your Bible there, uh, we're looking at uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, but I want to back up to verse 29 of chapter number one, to kind of put things into context. Look what he says in chapter one, verse 29. Unto you is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him. How many of you are saved tonight? Okay, there you go. Even not only those of you that believe on him, but look what he says, but also to suffer for his sake. The last verse of chapter one, this is where we left off last time. Paul writes here, having the same conflict which ye saw in me, and now here to be in me. Now, chapter 2 and verse number 1, if there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if 
any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercy. How many of you notice every one of those statements began with what word? Yeah, yeah if is a conditional word. It's a small two-letter word, but there is a condition that it needs to be met there, all right? Just giving you a little English lesson. You say, Pastor, I'm not good at English. Well, this is Bible, all right? So we'll call it Bible and not English, okay? So look at verse 2. He says, if there's going to be any of these things, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. You ever been in the nursery and you see those little kids that come into the nursery with nothing and they get a toy in their hand and another kid tries to take it out of their hands? And they say, that's mine. Really, I didn't see you go into the nursery with that. But that's the way we get in life. And the Bible says, don't look on things that you have. Look on the things of others. And tonight I want to speak to you in this short time on our consolation is in Christ. The word consolation is a wonderful Bible word. Look in verse number one again. If there be... If there, if there be therefore any consolation in who? Christ. In Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening. Bless our time in the Word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, you study this book and you study a little bit about the church in Philippi. Remember, a church is the people of God. And what you find at the end of chapter 1 is Paul is writing to those Christians because there's a, there's a great concern on their part because Paul is in prison. And Paul ends that chapter, chapter 1, really just trying to encourage them and tell them that they need to beware that there are adversaries out there. Anybody ever been a, attacked by an adversary? I mean, listen, if you're going to live for the Lord, there are adversaries out there that walking about seeking whom they may devour. There are people that are going to oppose us, and certainly Paul was no stranger to opposition. When he starts chapter 2, however, Paul begins to encourage those believers that along with the opposition, the adversaries, he says one thing that's going to help you is that you stay together, that you're, you're in unity that there is one accord among God's people, that as we walk in unity, that we become more and more like Jesus. Look what Amos said. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Can you imagine? Look here. Here's our Bible doctrine. You go into some churches, and this person believes this, this person believes this, this person over here believes this. Folks, you know what we believe? The Bible. We believe what the Word of God has to say. And Amos said, can two walk together? You ever seen a house that's divided? Uh, sometimes I get tickled. I see these license plate frames. I saw one the other day, and half of the license plate frame had Florida Gators. The other side had Florida State. And on the back window, it said, a house divided. 
And we cannot be God's people, and some believe this and some believe this. We need to be agreed. We see as Paul's writing here that if there is suffering and if there is persecution, what God's people, the church, need to do is, especially during those times, is we need to stand together. Look what the Bible says, one of my favorite verses here about the church, Psalm 133, verse 1, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. I love it when God's people get together. What's the opposite of getting along? Fighting, right? The devil loves it when there is division and discord among the brethren, but yet God says how wonderful, how pleasant it is when we stand together, and if we don't stand together, and this is what Paul is telling those in Philippi, if you don't stand together as God's people, you will be destroyed for your disunity. And there's been a lot of churches that have crumbled because they could not get along. I love uh, the statement that was made by Benjamin Franklin many, many years ago in our country when they were signing the great document we know as the Declaration of Independence. Benjamin Franklin said this, we must all hang together or assuredly we shall all hang separately. We've got to stay together. And Paul is encouraging that. So how do we find God's consolation? How do we find God's comfort? Number one, our fellowship needs to be in the Spirit. It needs to be in the Spirit. Well, how is this possible? Notice, first of all, the conditions of fellowship. What needs to be there in order for there to be the right fellowship in the Spirit? Well, the Bible says, if there be any consolation, notice the words, in Christ. See, our consolation is in Jesus Christ. Look at 1 John 2, 1. And again, I just shared this verse last hour, and I love what John says. He says, my little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, if you study that word advocate, I told them, I said, when I was a child growing up, I was taught that when I did something wrong, that I had to go to the church, I had to go into a confessional, I had to confess my sins to a man who was just as much of a sinner as I was, and I had to hope and pray that my prayers that I gave to that man were going to get to the Lord himself. And yet, what does the Bible say? It doesn't say anything about going to a confessional. It doesn't say anything about going to, to a priest in that sense. It says there is one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. You know what he is? He's our advocate. The word advocate means to be called to one side or called to one's aid. It is someone that pleads another's case before a judge. Now, did you catch that? Think about this. What is the relationship between Jesus and God the Father? You have the Father and the Son. Well, if we go to the Son, He has direct access to the Father. I don't have to go to Mary. Mary's not going to do anything for me, but Jesus can. I love the word here, advocate, because it talks about our consolation is in Christ Jesus. 
interesting, maybe you've seen this before, but when it talks here about this matter of of being the advocate, the one that we can plead our cause to that goes before the judge, it's the very same word in the Bible that's used for the Holy Spirit of God. Anybody ever heard the word paraclete? Yeah, the Holy Spirit of God. And guess what the Holy Spirit of God is called by the Lord himself. He says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you, but I will send another one. He says, and he is called the comforter. The comforter has come. Aren't you glad for the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God? You know, sometimes when I go to the hospital, and I've been to the hospital for some of you folks, when I go to the hospital, sometimes I think to myself as I pull up, and I park my car, and I know what the person in the hospital is going through. Sometimes a very difficult situation. A lot of times I think to myself, now what am I going to say to this person? What can I say to them that will, that will comfort them? And you know what? I, I, I've had this happen so many times. I get into their room, and I greet them, and I just sit down. And I just sit there. Sometimes I'm there for a couple minutes, sometimes longer. And those folks will say to me before I leave, Pastor, it meant so much to me that you came by. And I think to myself, I didn't do anything. Because all I did was I came alongside of them. Just my presence brings comfort. Sometimes in years gone by, and it happens occasionally from time to time, my wife will call me and she'll say, when are you coming home? And I'll say, well, I'm trying to get some stuff. She'll say, well, when are you coming home? And I'll say, well, I I should be there by such, such time. And, And so sure enough, I'll show up. Well, you know how men think. I'm thinking she wants something. She wants me to do something. And so I get to the house, I come in, and I'm like, all right, I'm here. And she's like, yeah. And I'll say to her, what'd you want? Nothing. I just wanted you to be here. That's the way women are. They just want you to be there. I don't get that, you know? If I'm going to be there, let's do something, but that's just the way they are. Aren't you glad when you're going through something that the Holy Spirit of God is there? He's there with you. And our consolation is in Jesus Christ and True comfort originates in God, and it originates in God to us, but it also originates in God through us to other people. Look what the Bible says. I love the verses in 2 Corinthians 1. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. You know what that means? When you go through something and God consoles you, God comforts you, God comes alongside of you, what God does in you when he comforts you, God's going to take that opportunity where he's comforted you, and it's with that same comfort that one day, if you allow God to, he'll put you with someone 
that's going through something very similar to what you went through, and you can then comfort them the way God comforted you. Anybody ever had that happen in your life? I've had it happen on numerous occasions. God, look at the conditions of our fellowship. We have uh, companionship, not only consolation in Jesus Christ, but also with the Holy Spirit of God. The word that he uses here, and I love the Bible word, fellowship. The word fellowship, koinonia, it means communion or joint participation. Our fellowship is with the Holy Spirit of God, and it is through the Holy Spirit of God. Look at Acts 9, verse 31. There was a lot going on in the church, and there had been a a lot of opposition. Remember the man by the name of Saul of Tarsus who was wreaking havoc on the church? He was was grabbing men and women, Christians, taking them from their homes, casting them in prison. I don't know. They estimate that maybe around 2,000 Christians lost their life because of the vehemence of Saul. But look what the Bible says in Acts 9, verse 31. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified. The word means built up and walking in the fear of the Lord. Here it is. And in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Somebody said real fellowship is not coordinated. It's created by the Holy Spirit. Real fellowship is with God and with His Spirit when no human comfort can soothe that which is broken or a grieving heart. Can I tell you, the Holy Spirit can soothe the brokenness? I, I'll tell you, there, there's, sometimes I think there's nothing that a mother cannot do for her child. But there have been times where even a mom cannot comfort or console a child, but the Holy Spirit of God can. The Holy Spirit of God can comfort us. And I love how he mentions this matter of compassion and mercies. These are all conditions of our fellowship. The Hebrews oftentimes use the term, uh, the bowels, and what they mean when they talk about the bowels is the seat of, 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 of tender affections in our life, like kindness and benevolence and compassion. All of those things the Holy Spirit creates within us for others. For instance, if you read and you study the life of Saul before he got saved on the road to Damascus, and God changed his name to Paul, this man was killing Christians. And I love to read the book of Philippians and a few other places in the New Testament where that very same man, God allowed him to pen these words, and he's writing here, and he's talking about these same Christians, but he's calling them his crown and his joy. Only the Holy Spirit can change a heart like that, folks. And I love to see the conditions of our fellowship, but notice also the continuation of fellowship because the Bible says in verse number two, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Now, unity, again, is something that is not by accident. There have to be reasons there when it comes to this matter of being unified together. The word that he uses here, like-minded, Listen, let me help you with this word. It is a word that means to be of the same mind, to cherish the same views, to be in harmony one with another. Now, as you study this out, here's what you find is, is that being like-minded does not mean that we all think exactly alike. That's not what it's talking about. 
But remember that the Holy Spirit is working. And so what the Holy Spirit then will do is he brings our thoughts and he brings our ideas into a unit of harmony to where we all want the same thing. How many of you would like to see people saved this year? How many of you would like to see our church be able to support missions more this year? How many of you would like to see boys and girls be taught the Word of God this year? I mean, listen, folks, I can go on and on. That's a spirit of harmony, and this is something that Paul was encouraging them that there would be a continuation. Well, one of the ways that that continuation could be there is that the Holy Spirit causes there to be a like-mindedness. Now, the other thing that he mentions here is that there needs to be a one accord. The word one accord means to be united in spirit, be in harmony. Look, folks, it's not what this person wants and this person wants. It's what does God want for this church? What does God want for people's lives? So look, Paul's saying that our consolation, that our fellowship is something that we see is in the spirit. But notice, secondly, our friendship, he mentions, from the heart. The Bible says in Matthew 5 in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I love people, first of all, that have the right motives. Look at verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than ourselves. The word strife, it wasn't there. It wasn't a part of what was going on in Philippi. Strife is a desire to put oneself forward, but to do it in a fractitious spirit. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, only by pride cometh contention. You know, we've got to be careful about pride in our lives. Look at 1 Timothy 6, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men, of corruptible minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such God tells us to withdraw ourselves. Some people just want to sit around and argue about things. You know, even when we go out into the community and we share the gospel, you know, sometimes you come across a door and they just want to stand there and out-argue you. I found a long time ago, if people don't want to be that way, then just be nice, be kind, excuse yourself, go to the next house because I guarantee you, you might find somebody there that's interested in the truth. And a lot of times we see that people are not, they don't have the right motives and and it, look, if we're living in strife, what we are doing is we're acting just like Satan. Jesus even had to get on to Peter one time, and he said, get thee behind me. The very thing that Peter was suggesting, he was suggesting that the Lord would stop short of Calvary. Jesus said, listen, that's not going to happen. He came to do the will of him that sent him. James said it this way in chapter 3, if any of you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, Glory not, lie not against the truth. He says, this wisdom, this bitter envy and strife, it descendeth not from above, it's earthly. 
sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is, look at the words, confusion and every evil work. So folks, we've got to understand from the heart, there was no strife, there was no vainglory. The word vainglory means to have no ground, groundless, it's empty pride, it's having vain opinion, an empty opinion. A lot of people are trying to glorify themselves. The day that Paul lived in, when he went to Mars Hill, everything was a God. Every person wanted to be heard. And understand that people are trying to self-glorify themselves. But listen, without God, we can do nothing in and of ourselves. To have self-glory is to steal the glory that belongs to God. And folks, we want to make sure that we understand what Jesus said in John 15, 5. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. Can I say that's true of our church? Without the Lord, we're not going to see anything happen. Our consolation is in Christ. Philippians 4, 13, you know the verse, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Let's remember that. You see, they had the right motives. Paul tells them, make sure that you're doing what you're doing from the heart for the Lord. But watch this, they also had the right means. The Bible describes in the last part of verse 3 that there was a lowliness of mind, that, that, look, you and I need to have a humbleness about our spirit that each of us, as it says here, need to esteem others better than ourselves. I know it's her name, and I like the name, but many times, I think years ago, somebody taught me the word joy, Jesus, others, and you. Many times, we want to put ourselves before others. He says that we need to esteem others better than ourselves. The word esteem means to respect, to value one another. If each spouse would treat the other as being superior. You say, Pastor, are you kidding me? The Bible says that the husband is the head of the home. You didn't hear what I said. If each spouse would consider the other as being superior, the marriage would undoubtedly be stronger. Look what the Bible says, and oftentimes these verses are misunderstood, but Ephesians 5, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. There's your example right there. You see how the Lord cherishes the church? How the Lord loved the church? How much did Jesus love the church? He gave himself for it. He purchased the church with his own blood. It cost him his life. And many times, husbands say, well, I'm the head of the home. Yeah, and she's the neck. Some of you will understand that someday. But look, they were a church that had their fellowship in the Spirit. They were a church that their friendship was from the heart. Notice number three, our focus needs to be on the needs of others. We mentioned this earlier, how we need to look past our interests. Matthew Henry said, a selfish spirit is destructive of Christian love. Look past 
your interest. It's not about what you want. It's not about what you need. It's to look on the things of others. And then notice, as we're looking past our interests, we will look to others' interests. In other words, how can we help them? What can we do for them? Let me give you a couple practical things that you can do. One is you can give them encouragement. Remember what Paul did? He was near the end of his life, and there was a young man God put in his life who was his son in the ministry. His name was what? Timothy. And you know, look here, Paul could have been sitting around going, my life is about to expire. I don't have much time left. And so, and so I've got this bucket list. And I'm going to spend every minute of my life jumping out of an airplane and going to do this and going to do this and going to do this. No, no, no. Paul said, listen, I'm going to invest my life, what I have left in this young man. You know what he did to Timothy? He encouraged him. You know how he encouraged Timothy? He looked past his own interest and he saw a young man that he could encourage. You see, one way that we can look to others' interests is we can encourage them. Another way is we can give them friendship. I love the story in the Old Testament about Jonathan and David. Anybody remember what Jonathan's daddy's name was? Saul. Remember how wicked Saul was? Remember how Saul treated David? But Jonathan loved David. Jonathan could have easily taken his father's side. Jonathan could have said, look, I'm, I'm next one in line, David. No. Jonathan was a friend to David. He was loyal to David. And one way that we can focus on the needs of others is we can encourage them. And another way we can focus on the needs of others is we can be a friend to them. And then how about this one? A third way is we can give attention to their hurts. No matter how bad you feel, no matter what you're going through, can I tell you, there is always someone else that is hurting. You know that I find that when I help others, when I focus on the hurts of someone else, I forget about my own hurts. Remember the story in the Bible that Jesus shared about what we oftentimes call the Good Samaritan? Remember how two individuals, religious people, never even crossed the street. They saw a genuine need, but did absolutely nothing. And that man who was the least likely person you can think of, not only came over and began to attend to the needs of that person, but put that person on its own beast of burden, took that person to an inn and told the person Whatever he incurs while he's here, I will take care of it when I come back this way. You know what that person did, and oftentimes that's why we call it the Good Samaritan, is that he put his own concerns aside. He attended to a stranger's hurt at his own expense. And that's what I love as Paul is encouraging them. He says, look, our consolation is in Christ. He said, when I think about our fellowship, our fellowship together, it's in the spirit. Our friendship is something from the heart, but our focus needs to be on others. Hey, listen, you know what Paul was really sharing with them? His own personal testimony, that his life was for others. Paul was in prison 
for the gospel's sake. And I think while Paul sat there in that prison, I think one of the greatest comforts that in his heart was this, that he knew that those Philippian believers, that they were going to continue their fellowship in the Spirit, that they were going to continue their friendship from the heart, and that they were going to continue to focus on the needs of others. Folks, listen, as the church, may that be said of us, that we are going to continue to have a fellowship in the Spirit, that you and I will continue to have a friendship from the heart, and that you and I will continue as God's church to focus on the needs of others. Remember, He is our consolation. He's our comfort. Look what Romans 15, 5 says, Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be, here's the word again, like-minded, one toward another, according to Christ Jesus. That's the way we need to be. If there's going to be any consolation, it's going to be because of the Lord Jesus. Let's bow our heads tonight. Lord, thank you so much. So many times, even recently, Lord, I have personally found myself sitting there in a situation, not knowing what to do, what to say. And there have been times where you have sent maybe another Christian brother or sister by, and their presence and their words have met that need in my life. And as encouraging as that is, there's been many more times where there wasn't somebody there. But I'm so glad that when there's no, no man or no woman that you are always there. You, you promised us in your word that you'd never leave us, that you would ever be present with us. And I'm so glad for the comfort that we have. Lord, there's a lot of unrest in this world, and I'm thankful for the comfort, the consolation that we have in Christ. Bless this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you stand?